Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And brought to you, as ever, now by you. Thank you to our patrons for supporting us each and every week at patreon.com slash UKtech. If you are one of our patrons, this is your extended, longer cut of this week's show. And if you're not yet a patron but would like to get our extended cuts each week with our extended stories or indeed additional stories, uh, weekly columns and and behind-the-scenes versions and uh, as-live uh, edits of the show head to patreon.com forward slash uk tech and find out how you can support us for as little as one dollar an episode now we can't really start the show uh, the news portion of the show this week everybody uh, without getting into uh, definitely the biggest tech story of the week arguably one of the biggest tech stories of the year i would say certainly the top tech story of the year as far as britain is concerned that's because this week the uk's national health service was hit by a crippling criminal ransomware attack which forced hospitals surgeries and gps offices across the country offline uh, with critical digital files deleted unless a ransom was paid. Certainly that was the threat. Uh, It wasn't alone, the NHS. Um, Attacks across the globe were reported, including FedEx in the US, Spanish telecoms firm Telefonica, Uh, The Nissan car manufacturing plant here in the UK was affected, as well as many other, particularly in in Russia and, uh, and across the rest of Europe and I think parts of Asia too. Now, the ransomware here is called WannaCrypta, and it's nasty. In short, it spreads a bit like a worm across computer networks, so often via email and other messaging systems, um, but it doesn't necessarily need you to download and install software. It's it's very clever, and it's particularly uh, virulent and targeting people running old operating systems, specifically Windows XP, uh, which is 16, uh, knocking on 17 years old. What it does is it encrypts the contents of a computer's hard disk. A pop-up box uh, will then explain that the files have been encrypted and highlights how users can unlock the files by paying a ransom of currently just over about 200 quid, 220 pounds, via uh, Bitcoin per machine. Now, NHS Digital has confirmed, obviously had confirmed the attack and issued a statement uh, in which it said there's no evidence that patient data had been accessed uh, and that the attack was not specifically targeted at the NHS, which does make sense given the number of unrelated companies uh, that had also been hit by the attack um, in the, the, the following hours. Uh, in fact, Home Secretary uh, Amber Rudd confirmed this on, on BBC Radio 4 in, in an interview saying that the, the virus had not specifically targeted the NHS. Um, but the NHS is, uh, as we'll come to, uh, quite the supporter of Windows XP. We'll talk about that more shortly. Um, now, despite all this, there were a lot of local reports here in the UK about operations, as in, you know, physical people under the knife or, or, or in uh, MRI scans uh, type of operations and tests being cancelled. And NH- NHS hospitals had put out a public plea, many of them did, uh, to not come to hospital unless it was life-threatening emergency or that their phone systems were down. They couldn't take any calls. Now, ours Technica pointed towards the Eastern North uh, Hereford NHS Trust website, which at the time showed a message that said, quote, we're currently experiencing significant problems with our IT and telephone network which we're trying to resolve as soon as possible. This means that people 
will have difficulty phoning us for the time being. Please bear with us. They apologized as well. They were not alone in that. There were many other messages similar to that, uh, saying for people to call uh, non-emergency lines for health concerns and only to go in if it was absolutely life-threatening, which is really terrifying, I think. I mean, if you were if you were suffering a life-threatening condition or something had happened, you had a heart attack or a suspected stroke or you, you know, spine broke. I mean, lots of incredibly serious things could have happened. And, and to find out that maybe you might not get treatment or not get treatment as fast because of this, I mean, I mean, it was it's sickening, really, isn't it? It is, it is. But let's be honest, I mean, I suppose there is a real problem that uh, if you get sick and they can't dispatch an ambulance, that that might be a real issue. Um, I was was talking about this uh, earlier. And um, I mean, if you went to hospital with a problem, there's nothing there's nothing technological that would probably prevent them from, uh, you know, attending to you. Well, apparently there was because there was an interview I read with a gentleman on the BBC uh, I think he was in his 80s and he was due to go in for a test for prostate cancer. And he was told as he was being loaded into a machine that there'd been a cyber attack on the hospital and he was then reversed out of the machine and left waiting. <laughs> now, okay. but, you know, well, but, but why? I mean, why is not the issue. The fact is he, well, sure. he had to. So uh, yes, w- but it could be staff incompetence or not knowing enough or just being told by somebody who didn't know. It better. might be that his uh, his his patient records weren't available. And as such, they weren't sure if there is any re- medical reason he couldn't go in a scanner or something like that. So there's, there, I'm sure there are lots of legitimate reasons that would uh, hold up treatment in such a case. So, of course, it's a, it's terrible. It's really bad. It's it's really, really bad. Yeah. And one of the reasons it's really bad is because many NHS trusts still use Windows XP, the version of uh, Microsoft's OS that's not received publicly available security updates for, what, five years? Four or five years? Yes. Um, but also, this uh, it's worth pointing out, this, this, um, this security flaw that enabled this virus to get a grip is... Uh, was in all versions of Windows, I believe, up until 10. Um, And it was only patched by Microsoft last month. Um, So it's, I mean, yes, of course, the problem here is that obviously the NHS is using XP and it has not renewed its uh, support contract. So, and that costs £5.5 million a year. Mm-hmm. So you can see why they didn't renew it, although it's stupid not to. But that means that although Microsoft would have made a patch available for XP last month when it did all the other versions of Windows, uh, the NHS computers would not have had it because, of course, they haven't paid for it. Um, so there's a lesson here as well, isn't there? You cannot take shortcuts with security. Now, Microsoft uh, did the right thing and, and released a patch overnight for Windows XP. To, to specifically target this. And this is not something that it routinely does for Windows XP uh, f- because, I mean, how long do you support an aging piece well, of software? <clears throat> Microsoft, I mean, I'm sure we'll get some criticism, but uh, if, it's a, if it's a thing like this, they usually will patch it even on old OSs. Yeah, and, and good because they, they should. And it, well, it, should it, they though? I mean, when was XP stopped? When did it stop being Well, it was sold? released in 2001. I think yeah. they st- the, Vista was being announced around 2006, I believe. Windows 7 would have been around 2010-ish. Yeah. Uh, then Windows 8 uh, between then and, and Windows 10, obviously, was, was, was within the last 18 months. So um, I think the fact is that you, you do have a responsibility if you release what is essentially an incredibly good product that people keep using <laughs> um, to, 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 you know, to, to keep patching it. And, and I think 
the onus is on them to, to have to do this if they're able to and if it's in their power for something this significant. Well, of course. And, and they were able to and they did. Uh, extended support ended in 2014. I mean, that's staggering. To extend the metaphor a little bit, it's sort of like, you know, if somebody does drugs and it gives them a heart condition, the hospital can't turn you away and say, we're not going to treat you because it's your own fault. Yeah, they're well, going to they're going to treat are... you in those emergency situations, and I think this is that equivalent within the tech world. But they, they weren't alone in helping this because there was a uh, and he's been referred to here. We say he. I don't actually know if it is a male. Um, it's uh, accidental hero, uh, a guy tweeting as at malware tech blog. Uh, he's a UK he or she is a UK cybersecurity researcher. And he worked with a a gentleman called Darian Huss from a security company called Proofpoint. And they inadvertently activated a what's been called a kill switch in this malicious software. This was according to a Guardian report, obviously uh, reported widely elsewhere as well. What it was, the kill switch at least, was hard coded into this malware in case whoever created it, we believe, wanted to stop it spreading. And it was very interesting how this worked because it involved an incredibly long, I mean, I I lost count trying to count the characters in this domain name, but it must be 30, 40 characters. Like someone had just gone, you know, with all fingers all over a keyboard.com and registered it. Complete nonsensical. Um, But basically, the malware made a request to this domain and like it would for any other website. And if the request came back to show that the domain uh, had been registered, then the kill switch took effect and the malware stopped spreading itself. Ah, So this guy registered this domain for about, you know, eight pounds or something. And it immediately, he said, started seeing thousands of connections coming into the website, which showed the spread. He was also then able to map exactly where the spread was was being uh, mostly concentrated, if you like. And the UK was one one of the biggest areas in there. So... You know, he was being hailed as as, as a bit of a hero. Um, this this person, the the person also did warn that this could be the tip of the iceberg, and we could see potential repeat attacks. Um, it will you be. Know. Of course, it will be. I mean, it, it, this has been. We're lucky it's taken this long. Yeah, the Americans have already been hit by this. American hospitals get it all the time um, with malware. I mean, it's it's just for for private health organisations, it's just cheaper to pay up, isn't it? It is. Uh, although you know, apparently, according to one figure I saw, it was huge amounts of money had not been paid to this Bitcoin account somewhere in the region of about twenty or twenty five thousand pounds, which mm. is really not a lot given the number of machines affected. It seems and the fact that each payment would be at least two hundred pounds based on the yeah. current value of Bitcoin. So you know, to only get 20 grand, it's not exactly huge. And these guys, whoever are doing this, are basically now at the top of Europol's, you know, most wanted yeah. list. I mean, they sure. are in uh, quite the hot water. Uh, and, you know, th- I did read another uh, report actually as well to suggest that there's only one single Bitcoin account that had been filling with cash here. So tracing that, difficult though that is, is something that security services, Interpol, FBI, no doubt, and other agencies around the world will be hunting these people down. I mean, the problem now, of course, is that they will be they will struggle to get their Bitcoin without triggering some sort of alert. I would think. Yes. Um, I mean, I don't, uh, Bitcoin's complicated, isn't it? But it's not it's not entirely untraceable in that regard. I mean, it, it's what if they if they never do anything with the money, then it's then it's unlikely they'd be caught. But if they try to change it into currency or um, I mean, they might be able to get away with moving it into another cryptocurrency. They might yes. find someone prepared to accept the Bitcoin. Dogecoin. And, yes, or any of the co- any of the many coins. But such, again, such you know, cyber it, crimes, very lucrative. Wow. 
I mean, you probably uh, the answer here is probably that they didn't intend for this to happen in quite the way it has. Mm. Um, I mean, ma- malware like this is it's sort of designed, I, I suppose, to target individuals more than it is companies. I I have to say, I I, I thought that myself, but then I thought, well, that's why this kill switch in, it, it exists. If that were the case, surely the person noticing all this who is responsible would have said, "Oh, oh God," and gone and registered that domain. In, in the vein that this person did, because it took well, somebody to, to go through this and to find this in the code and then register it uh, to, to do it. The person responsible, should they have been seeing this and wanted to stop it, they put that oh, code in there. Well, they could have done it themselves. Saying, I'm not saying they wanted to stop it. I'm saying that I don't think that these things are targeted at organisations that can that have the power to blow the whistle. I think they're mostly aimed at people who have a load of photos of, that are very precious on their computers and think, oh, well, I mean, you know, it's only 300 quid or $300 or 200 quid or whatever. I'll just pay it and then I'll get my stuff back and it'll be fine. And and, and absolutely that is the case. In most, I mean, as much as, as much as this is a scam, it does work. If you pay the money, you tend to get your computer back. In this um, instance, it seems so, although there have been cases of ransomware in the past where that's not been the case. Of course, of course. And there are quite a lot of uh, versions of this kind of thing where, you know, there's a workaround that someone will have discovered the key and posted it online and you'll be able to get your files back for free. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> but of course, you know, what do you do if you're the NHS? Well, in most, in all likelihood, um, the computers that sit on people's desks won't have a lot of files on themselves anyway. It, it, it's more of an inconvenience than it is anything else. I, I suspect that most of the important stuff will be held on servers that are not running Windows. So um, really, this is about manpower or woman power or person power, um, about restoring the computers to their uh, to working. And that, that alone is a huge cost and a, uh, you know, and something that's going to take a lot of time. Perhaps this is the time when they should be thinking about uh, migrating to a new OS. But of course, there are lots of reasons you can't do that. Um, software obviously needs to be made available on newer versions of Windows. And we all know what the nhs is like and then and then probably any any industry like the police is the same like the, there was an audit of the police and they were running some absurd number of windows xp machines that was that had no justification whatsoever um and then you come to something like this and you start to see that you know yeah sure moving to windows 10 uh, might be expensive in that you have to buy new hardware or you have to retrain people or you have to buy licenses but is it as expensive and as damaging to the face of the organization as an attack like this taking hold? Well, I would point out one slight thing, just if you want to, if you really want a doomsday scenario, is that, you know, we have nuclear submarines. Do you know what <laughs> operating system they run on? Yeah, but they, they run they run a special version of Windows XP. It's, it's still Windows XP. I think we have four of them. Nuclear subs running Windows XP. Yeah, but that's it's called Windows XP for submarines. Oh, it is I'll something it bizarre like that, yeah. But before we get into too much of a rabbit hole about talking about this, you know, there are a couple of other points I wanted to get to. Um, now, V3 quoted a, a gentleman called Brian Lord. He's an OBE. He's actually the former di- uh, deputy director of GCHQ Cyber and Intelligence. And he criticized the NHS tr- uh, trust, uh, the NHS uh, response to this attack. And he said, quote, the impact on services has not been caused by the ransomware. Although, uh, personally, I would say it, well, it no, be, I, I, I agree with what he's saying there. 
it, he continues, uh, quote, it has been caused by the trust's ne- uh, necessary reaction to it, whereby they have had to shut everything down to stop its spread, not helped by poor understanding of network configuration, meaning everything has to shut down. Something like this was always inevitable, uh, he says. While organizations are distracted by high-profile dramatized threats, such as Russian election hacking, they are neglecting basic cyber hygiene measures, which can prevent the mass effectiveness of mass ransomware attacks like this. Hopefully, this is a wake-up call. Until basic cyber hygiene is taken seriously, these attacks will continue to happen at this scale, with an impact disproportionate to the nature of the attack. Now, that is in line with what you said essentially in that this is about not addressing this is this is trying to create a cure not promote a prevention um now i wanted to use that as a segue into a very interesting email we had from one of our listeners mike who's an it manager at an nhs trust so he was very close to all this on friday when it happened and and he believes we'll be close to it next week as well i'm going to read this email in full because it really touches on some of the points that we've addressed earlier on and that was addressed by the gcsq gentleman just now Uh, mike says it would appear that a lot of nhs institutions just decided to switch off all the systems on friday in an attempt to minimize the potential impact to them i was working remotely on friday using a vmware client and was advised to disconnect just in case the message was that they wanted to limit the impact and deal with any residual problems on monday morning i'm hoping for the best on monday but i'll be getting to work a little bit earlier just in case my trust of which i'm an it program manager is currently progressing with a project to remove existing xp machines and replace them with windows 7 versions We had over 1,700 XP devices and have approximately 400 left to do. We're on track to remove them all by the end of June, but some will still have to remain due to legacy software that is being used and is not currently compatible with Windows 7, which is exactly your point, Ian. Mike Mike continues, one more paragraph. He says, I've worked across the public sector as a contractor for about 15 years, and I come across this situation quite a bit. If the current ICT infrastructure does the job, then the investment isn't forthcoming. They're very reactive to situations rather than proactive and look at the long term for ICT in general. If it ain't broke, why fix it? To be fair, though, if you have a budget to treat people with serious issues now or use some uh, and future proof IT systems for next year, most clinicians would choose to treat patients. Mm, Yes, I mean, that's why you can't let the clinicians make the decision, unfortunately. So thanks very much to Mike for that really insightful uh, and uh, email. Uh, great observations. Thanks really good. Yeah. Very much. And good luck with Monday, mate, because uh, you're probably going to have an interesting week. And do keep us posted. We'd love to hear uh, sort of how things are going. Maybe we can follow up on this next week if you uh, learn anything interesting that you're you know, allowed to share, of course. But so uh, and here's, here's something that I, I mean, again, look, the problem with coming on a podcast and spouting your mouth off with lots of opinions about how things should be done is that obviously you, you, it's impossible to know uh, the ins and outs of the situation. So if anyone is in the know, I do, uh, you know, obviously you have to forgive us for saying the things that we say. But um, it, it say, say you've got a machine that can't run, uh, you, you know, that has to run Windows XP, then why would you not put that in a virtual machine of some kind or make some effort to develop a system where by you know anything running xp is essentially disconnected from the network and it's fine to use it as a, a standalone machine say if it's attached to a scanner i have know, like two a, thoughts an on mri that. machine yeah, i have on. two thoughts on that which is that uh, two reasons one again cost and the cost yeah. of uh, you know running virtual machines and maintaining that paying the license fees even if they're not being used that sort of thing and the second reason which may be you know equally valid is uh simplicity 
and that you know to have something local fast that runs efficiently on a local machine um, is more likely to be used and not circumvented by people trying not to have to log into this bloody remote thing where you have to scan this and type this and it's not as fast you know people might want to you know use a, a, an alternative less regulated system you know it's one of the reasons sure. why you see a lot of cybersecurity problems in companies because but you don't have to uh, you know it doesn't have to be running remote i mean you could there are ways to make machine you know even even in normal windows even if you if you know that there's likely to be a problem then you can set a machine up so that it's impossible to write pretty much anything to it Again, I'm not saying that I have all the answers, but I, you know, I, you could, virtual machines these days are, are very good. If, if your problem is that you've got an old system running XP that you need, you very desperately need something on it to keep running, then, you know, then it, it might be worth con- considering a VM for it. Having said that, of course, VMs are not great at communicating outside of the virtual machine necessarily. So, you, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a perfect solution. But, you know, again, we're, or just pay the five and a half million pounds a year and suck it up. If you know, if you feel like you have a legitimate reason to carry on using Windows XP, then just pay Microsoft the money. That's that. You know, it costs Microsoft a lot of money to continue to support. Uh, you know, that number of machines and in that detail. Well, I have a thought on this. A... Yeah, go on. And uh, the thought is that. We're coming up to election season now, and it would not mm. surprise me if we see this come up in a manifesto or a pledge. Say we will put aside five and a half million pounds to upgrade the entire NHS system to stop these kind of ransomware attacks hacking and for, and for that to be used as a, as a, you know, a leg up during the, the campaigning. Oh, well, maybe. I mean, that, that would require that the government is able to string a sentence together about technology without seeming like a bunch of clueless morons. But, you know, I mean, there's a first time for everything, isn't there? There is. And we're going to talk about some of those in, uh, in just a couple of minutes because a, a, a couple of interesting things came up and they're our next two stories. Uh, for the moment, though, let's just wrap up on the ransomware attack. Um, as of today, the BBC uh, reported uh, this morning on Sunday uh, that out of a total of 48 of England's NHS trusts hit by the cyber attack, only six are currently not yet back to normal. Uh, Amber Rudd, the Home Secretary we, we mentioned earlier, said that 97% of NHS trusts were, quote, working as normal, and there was no evidence patient data was affected. Europol also described the attack as unprecedented uh, and said its cybercrime team was working with the affected countries uh, to assist victims and mitigate the threat options. Uh, obviously, the question is, will it happen again? Obviously, while people are still using XP and risking themselves then, yes, quite probably. Uh, ransomware is a growing threat. Uh, Bitcoin has obviously made it a little easier uh, to facilitate paying uh, money for, for this as well because of the um, relative anonymity that comes with the platform. Um, and uh, the security expert we quoted earlier, the the accidental hero, has also gone on the record to say that they expect another ransomware attack and that this could just be the first of many. So, Obviously, we'll be keeping our eye on this. Um, you don't need us to tell you when this happens again. Um, but for anyone experiencing this or has run into it, obviously, it was great to have Mike's comments. But if anyone else out there has thoughts, opinions, uh, or any other insights or questions about this, uh, do let us know ahead of next week's show. Podcast at natelankson.com. And good luck, everyone. 
Right, well, let's uh, tangent slightly into an unplanned segue that Ian very kindly delivered uh, during the previous story uh, around politics and technology. Um, We have two technology-related things that came up, one in Camp Conservative, one in Camp Labour. Uh, We're going to start with the Tories. Uh, According to the BBC this week, the Conservative Party says it wants to give people the power to demand social media companies delete any embarrassing content they posted as children, i.e. before they turned 18. The largest firms would be required, if requested, to erase material created by someone before they turned 18. Anything they created after 18 would be left online, presumably since they're grown-ups and should know better. And we all know, of course, that people over the age of 18 never post anything embarrassing or reprehensible on the internet. (laughs) Now, ministers uh, do hope for cooperation from, uh, you know, the likes of Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, although obviously Snapchat uh, self-erases there, uh, and may impose fines if they do not comply. Now, I believe good luck with that is in order. And in principle, I sort of see the appeal here. I just also don't think it will ever happen. Um, the, the the exception to this rule would be something like the right to be forgotten uh, rule imposed by the European Commission in 2014, because it affected people who had information about them online that may have become massively irrelevant and damaging, um, such as, I don't know, because the result of a court case. Um, the Google uh, delisting of embarrassing search results or, or um, uh, privacy invading uh, search results came to light in 2010. Those are, and this is an example that the European Commission actually uses as a, a reason for the right to be forgotten rule to exist, by the way. Uh, they say that in 2010, there was a, a chap in Spain uh, who'd lodged a complaint against a Spanish newspaper and with the uh, there, the National Data Protection Agency, and against Google. And the man complained that there was an auction notice of his repossessed home on Google search results, which infringed his privacy rights because the proceedings concerning him had been fully resolved prior to this. But, you know, this was still being uh, highly ranked in Google. So he requested the newspaper be required to either remove or alter its pages and that Google be required to remove the personal data related to him on its search listings so that they no longer would appear. This happened, uh, he he won, and a precedent was sort of set. So uh, in 2014, the EU uh, ruled that individuals do have the right, under certain conditions, it highlights, to ask search engines like Google to remove links with personal information about them. Now, this routinely happens now. It's been happening for a couple of years, I think three years, um, and millions of of URLs have been delisted from Google uh, as a result of this, and not just Google. I think it applies to things like Facebook and Twitter and other places. However, my problem with this, and this goes back to why I don't think that this will work and why the Tories are woefully uh, misguided on this front, despite their good intentions, and I'm willing to concede they are at least good intentions for kids, um, is that there's a difference between being falsely accused of being a paedophile or a rapist and having news reports listed highly in Google, despite being cleared of such charges, and a 16-year-old saying something stupid on Twitter that they later regret. Um, now, I imagine that if anything does come to this, if the Tories are are, are re-elected and, and this remains a, a, a pledge that's uh, that's enforced or tried to be enforced, we'll end up with some kind of compromise, like money for better education for why you shouldn't post stupid things on Twitter when you're in, in school. But, you know, the companies aren't going to bend until something like a European high court basically forces them to. And I just don't think that embarrassing stuff 16 year olds do online is is going to be seen as as worthy of uh, of legislation mm, i don't know i mean it, the thing is that th- this this came up recently uh, uh someone who introduced jeremy corbyn at a uh, she was a, a student university uh 
like representative she had made some racist comments on twitter uh when she was something like 14 like it was years ago um but she was an adult now obviously uh and she stepped down from the position and said you know i don't recognize the the comments that i made i don't i don't recognize that person anymore um and i was thinking well you know i have a lot of sympathy for this she was basically hounded because of the things she said which of course is understandable because you know it's uh, you know not great to be racist is it um you know and, and i can see why people were cross with her but children learn and you know like i mean you know we've all been kids and if we're all honest we've all said and done things that we th- would be completely unacceptable for us to do as adults and uh, as a result of the you know of learning uh you know wh- how the world works it takes time i'm all for a bit of tolerance you know i'm, I'm not very tolerant of ignorance but at the same time you know kids are kids it, it it takes a while to get to grips with the way the world is so um yeah so she had to step down and this seems like i don't think you can really legislate for things like this um if people get to 18 and think actually you know what I, my history is not great and i've learned a lot and i think i've matured then i think that it's up to them ultimately to go back and look through their history and delete it and again you you learn a lot doing that like if i was to read you know, my old Twitter account tweets, I'm sure I would think, "Mm, probably shouldn't have said that or, you know, other such things. Uh, And I was an adult for all of that, (laughs) technically. (laughs) I mean, I agree. And that's that's where you have to draw the line because you can imagine it being rather annoying that uh, if you posted something on your 18th birthday and tried to, uh, you know, while you're out drinking legally for the first time and you want to remove that, it's like, well, you were over 18 at that point. So uh, no. Um, But I I agree with you that that it is concerning. And that's why I do believe that the the promise here is it, it comes from a from a good place and, and with very good intentions to protect children i also i also feel like if in the say for example that that lady that i cited i i feel like it should be completely unacceptable for the national press say to go and dig something like that up that something someone wrote when they were a kid i just think i mean i can't I'm not, again i wouldn't ask for legislation about it but i would say if you're a newspaper editor, you go, well, look, you know, she was 14 at the time. Um, I don't think this is a, a, a particularly good thing for us to be dragging up. Um, you know, I, I would say that would show maturity, but that we all, I think we all know that the uh, the editors of the national press don't always show that kind of maturity themselves. Yes, in a utopia where the, the tabloids are, are not controlled by the vultures uh, hunting for the the carcass of a yeah. of a misguided tweet uh, in somebody's well, we history do- is you know is a it would is a bit of a dream but that's not the, the the utopia that we inhabit unfortunately no it's not we do lo- we do yeah not that we inhabit a utopia at all but we do love a pitchfork don't we I mean like it, all oh, of yes. us do it we, all, all everyone is guilty of going on uh going on the internet and sort of getting very angry about something someone said it just happens to be that that person is on the other side of your you know the the debate to you and you know we're all happy to do that and i you know i can i completely hold my hands up and count myself in that no one loves a witch hunt more than me hmm. um I, I, usually i like to think that you know i've got the moral argument but you know i you can't it's not fair to say that you can't have one rule for one set of people and one rule for another can you you know we have to be quite clear that what children say and do is completely different to what adults say and do hmm. sometimes but well, yes. I've seen some very I mean, smart children doing things that uh, <laughs> stupid say, grown-ups wouldn't dream of doing. I, I hear things out of my seven-year-old that you know would would you would think would smart coming out of an adult. It's just well, you know, like they understand the world a lot better than we do because they haven't learned you know to hate for some reason. Well, let's jump into uh, the uh, the benches of the left, the Labour Party. Um, in camp Labour this week, uh, and this came out during the leaked manifesto um, that, uh, that that made the rounds. 
uh, in over the last few days. Uh, the Register reported that the Labour Party has pledged a 30 megabit per second universal broadband speed, by, by <laughs> universal they mean across the UK, by 2022. This now, is just balls, isn't it? I mean, come on. Th- yep. They've just taken the last number and added 10 to it. <laughs> Let's continue just for the sake of fairness here. Now, the current universal service obligation has been set very recently, in fact, within the last couple of weeks, uh, within the Digital Economy Act at 10 megabits per second oh, by right, so 2020. 20. Now, that is a um, there was a proposed amendment uh, of, to 30 megabits per second by the House of Lords, uh, but that was dropped uh, before it was passed and got royal assent uh, as the Digital Economy Act. Um, the new law... The 10 megabits per second law means that everybody in the UK should have access to 10 megabits per second internet by 2020. And I believe, and this is off the top of my head, so please don't quote me on this without checking, but I believe 5%-ish of the population uh, can't currently access uh, speeds up to 10 megabits per second. So this is great news for them, particularly those people out in in the sticks. Uh, But Labour wants to ramp this figure to to 30 megabits per second two years after the deadline passes for everybody, 100% of the population, to have 10 megabits per second. Now, Labour also promised to improve public internet coverage and expand uh, the provision of free public Wi-Fi in city centres and non public transport, according to the Register. Uh, The uh, manifesto read, quote, we will improve 4G coverage and will invest to ensure all urban areas, as well as major roads and railways, have uninterrupted 5G coverage. Though I did not go into further detail about 5G uh, for reasons (laughs) that to us in the know are fairly obvious. That's because we have a non-ratified standard and it's very expensive and it won't happen by 2022, probably in this country. Now, anyway, before we just talk a little bit about uh, Labour's uh, proposal here, which, again, I think is in good spirits um, and it's certainly not a bad idea. It's just not one that is reasonably probably going to happen. Uh, I do like how internet-y all these promises are from both sides of the political spectrum. Um, Also, kind of how entirely undoable they all transpire to be. (laughs) Um, But nonetheless, you know... The, the Tories had a good idea to protect children. I think that's great. It will just be too difficult uh, to enforce. But hell, if they get re-elected and pull it off, I will quite happily uh, eat my hat or a hat made out of an edible substance on a future episode. And good luck to them if they do do that. Same for Labour. If we can get to 30 megabits per second for 100% of the population by 2022, which is you know just over four years, then again, hats off. Well done. Um, I think it you will be what? a I've, challenge, though. I've come up with an idea. Go on, mate. Is it vote the Greens in? No. The law should be that the the you, you know the small the universal service obligation should be a percentage of the maximum mass market domestic product. So for example, the fastest broadband you can get on the I would say on the mass market would be um Virgin's say 300 meg or 200 meg ish. So Set it for ten percent, so that that's you know that what that's what they've got to deliver for uh, for all users, and then as the highest speed increases, so does the universal service obligation thing. I think that's a good idea. It's difficult think... to, to put that into into a document that the Queen will read and agree with. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, but, but that not everything in life is simple, is it? You know. No, mate. Well, there's the understatement of the day. <laughs> You're right. Not everything in life is simple, Ian Morris. 2017. 2017. No, having, I agree. I mean, I've been alive be... for nearly 40 years. I've got this cracking, you know, understanding of the world. If you have thoughts on this story, of course, and uh, the, the feasibility on either side of the political camps in uh, Camp Tory or Camp Labour about uh, the uh, protect the children or uh, protect those who can't 
stream 4K Ultra HD video, <laughs> um, then let us know, please. Podcast at natelangson.com or tweet us at text message pod. Ian, let's get through this one quite click quickly. Uh, yes. O2 uh, had an interesting press release from them uh, this week. It said, quote, From the 15th of June, O2 customers can use their inclusive calls, texts, and data bundles when traveling to Europe at no extra cost. O2's Europe zone for pay monthly and business customers covers 47 countries, including Jersey, Guernsey, and Switzerland. Now sitting there, and I put down my coffee, and I thought, hmm, hold the phone. Uh, quite literally, uh, in, <laughs> in this case. I was reading it on my iPhone. Uh, you have to do that. The 15th of June is the day the EU gets rid of roaming charges across the continent. You can't take credit for that. So I emailed them back uh, with words to that effect and said, uh, just to clarify, the EU is ending roaming charges on the 15th of June. So O2 presumably would have to do this anyway. Uh, Or is the news that this includes more than the 28 member states of the EU? Uh, Now, O2's press person who replied back to me, and that was literally a quote from the email I sent, uh, said, yes, uh, it includes more than just the countries they have to. uh, And also that they're giving away some holidays. So that was part of the press release. (laughs) Bit tenuous, if you ask me, but they're not alone. Uh, EE did this a couple of weeks ago, and they announced that they wouldn't charge customers for roaming costs, again, coinciding with the date that they legally have to stop charging customers roaming costs. And then... After I mentioned this O2 thing to Ian, uh, you got one from Plusnet, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Saying exactly the same thing. Um, It's been all systems go here at Plusnet Mobile. We're letting you know about an exciting change to your mobile plan. From the 15th of June, you'll be able to use your monthly plan allowance, just like you do at home in any EU destination, plus a few extra. You can view the full list of destinations here. So again, yes, exactly. It's it's, uh, them pretending, if you will, that they're being forced to do something is actually a massive uh decision that they've taken and uh you know they're, they're, it's they're they're doing us great things but it's uh it's good it's great isn't it you know people will be able to uh, enjoy free roaming essentially exactly i mean we, we poke fun at these companies because we don't we don't we think it's a little bit cheeky to tie this in you know like they had a choice uh, the fact is you know um these companies i mean we mentioned o2 and ee today they're not alone as we've highlighted um they are offering to kill roaming in more countries than they have to. You know, that's yeah, part of it. Yeah. O2 said 47. Like, that's not what the EU says you have to do. Um, so that's that's great. We just think it is a little bit cheeky, don't we, mate, to uh, think they're doing this out of the goodness of their business plans uh, rather yes. than the fact that if they don't, they'll be in trouble with the European Commission. Absolutely. And and I've got to say, it's it's I, I can't believe that it was allowed that the Isle of Man and Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, would have, you know, as a as a UK person, you could be, you know, either you go, you go to the Isle of Man and you get hammered. I mean, it was really expensive to roam from the Isle of Man, even though it's, you know, it's a different companies, of course. So legally, I'm sure they feel like they're justified. Um, but it, it's, you know, it, it, it's like, it just feels wrong somehow. I mean, OK, it's a, it's a part of the UK. Um, obviously, the Republic of Ireland isn't. But even so, you know, you still go there and feel, oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to cough up extra money. But hey, uh, it's good. It's all over. It is. No more of this, at least until we leave the EU, and then who knows? Right, Ian, uh, just bear with me a sec. I've just got to uh, reach into something down here. Oh, my goodness. <sighs> this oh. is high drama. It's my huge sack uh, of uh, listener emails from the last couple of weeks. Uh, here we go. Right, let me just see what's... 
What's in here? Ah, yes, of course. You could tell I didn't go to Rada, didn't you? <laughs> uh, we uh, we wanted to get to a couple of emails uh, between uh, in the middle of the show here. We're a bit over the, the middle um, because uh, last week, obviously, we didn't have a show uh, because of our technical uh, issues that, that took hours to, to resolve. Um, but we did have uh, an email that I that we planned on talking about and didn't. So this came from Rick. And the reason we're talking about this is because we discussed creepy digital marketing, both in a column that I wrote for our patrons uh, at patreon.com slash UK tech, as well as on a subsequent ep- episode that followed it. And this great email came in as a counterpoint uh, in response to that. And we're going to read it out uh, in full. He says, hi, Nathan Ian. Hello, Rick. Hi. As an employee of a digital marketing agency that specializes in some of the same creepy advertising tactics that you saw from uh, Trainline, I felt obliged to fight its corner brackets. Somebody has to. Uh, And I should point out, just for those who did forget or didn't listen uh, to that episode or see the column, uh, this is where I was browsing for train times on the trainline.com website. And then the next day saw on a completely different website, a news website, uh, a banner ad uh, targeting me specifically, suggesting I complete my journey to Broxbourne, the town I was looking at the times to. And I just thought, no, naughty. That's very, very creepy. I do not like this at all. Anyway, Rick continues. I get it. Advertisements breaking out of their own sites feels... A, l- a bit like a sleazy salesman following you out of a shop. And to add to this, the unease of tech-savvy brain goes into overload. Have I? Have they sold my data? Is it secure? Could it be used for evil? They're just three of the quotes that Rick posits the brain uh, might think during a time like this. And he's right. Uh, but in truth, it's not quite that sinister. And the ads are usually triggered by harmless cookie data stored in your browser. Having seen firsthand how effective these ads are, if done correctly, I can only assume that the majority of consumers really don't mind. Over the years, we've all been bombarded by PPI, personal insurance, credit cards, loans, something which most of us have zero interest in. So surely, Rick says, surely it's better to receive content that you should have a higher propensity towards. In some instances, it's actually possible to use these targeted ads targeted ads to your advantage, since many offer discounts for products you've recently viewed. I'm kind of surprised uh, you'd condone the use of a VPN to circumvent the targeting, since if you're going to do that, you might as well cut out the middleman and use an ad blocker. My advice would be embrace the ad and use it to your advantage, although I would say that. Keep up the great work, chaps, best tech podcast bar none. Uh, Rick, thank you very much for the kind words and for, and for you know, uh, reaching out with, uh, you know, to disagree and, and post at a counterpoint and i do agree yeah. uh, you know no. the what i like are ads that are relevant uh that, that hit me and i do see this the fact that i don't really see any ads for things like football or you know men extreme male grooming things or high fashion or uh things to do with cars i rarely see those sorts of ads uh targeted ads because you know i don't give a damn about football and i'm not really a lad and i don't drive so it's irrelevant i do see tech products i do see things for you know, weird coffees and stuff that I have an interest in. And I agree, those are great. What I don't like is where it w- this was different because I was just looking up train times and then I see the ad targeted at the town I live in. And I, I don't know, I just, I, I while I agree with your counterpoint, I, I still think it's just a little bit too creepy. I, You know what, I, I, I know that I do, I definitely do bang on about, you know, privacy and, you know, being worried about things like this. But I've got uh, there's a part of me that thinks, well, look, at least uh, a relevant ad is better for me than an irrelevant ad. Um, uh, They get it wrong a lot of the time, but it's their money to waste. So I I guess I can sort of see both sides of it. 
I know that if I want to do something, and I do do this quite a bit, I do research things, I, you know, things that I'm not particularly interested in, and that can have a, obviously a, a damning impact on your, uh, you know, your user experience. But of course, there are also things that I do that I, where I write about things where I have to look into things I'm not, I, I really am opposed to, uh, you know, looking into sort of political uh, uh, views and stuff like that, just to see what's going on. Um, so yeah, I, I, I sort of understand the value of it. But I also think, they're building up a picture of me here that may not be entirely accurate. And that worries me um, because you never know at what point it's going to become where, where, you know, where judgments are going to be made about that sort of information. I agree. Um, and if you want to hear that context, you've got no, you know, thing to, you know, no proof of anything. Have you? And if you're interested in uh, how social networks in particular treat uh, your personal data in terms of how it uh, uses it to curate its algorithm, or rather how its algorithm uses it to curate curate what you see. Uh, I listened this week to an amazing podcast uh, uh, from the Inquiry, the Inquiry series of shows called something like How Powerful is the Facebook algorithm. And I'm not kidding. If you are remotely interested in this, look up the inquiry. Just Google BBC inquiry Facebook algorithm. I'm sure you'll find it. Give it a listen. It is brilliant. Very, very interesting. Just about how much data this algorithm has and how it uses it to target people. Uh, Well worth a listen. And thank you, Rick, uh, for an incredibly insightful um, email and counterpoint. If you are insightful, uh, listener, and would like to uh, disagree with us on something and offer a counterpoint, uh, podcast at natelangson.com is where we welcome... uh, your counterpoint. Uh, one thing uh, before we wrap up the show I wanted to get to, we did have a, a message uh, on Patreon from Richard who uh, in a previous episode we talked about the difference between 21st century Fox and 20th century Fox uh, and Richard said the naming isn't quite as simple as you might think 21st is the parent company of the group which includes 20th uh, Fox News, Fox Networks and stuff and I did not know that, that was very interesting, uh, explains that little hiccup uh, so thank you Richard for uh, for pointing that out. Now we did have lots of other emails um, but we've just had too many to get into one show so we're going to bump some of those over to next week's show uh, but we've got a few so we will come back to those uh, you can keep them coming in though podcast at natelangson.com or at text message pod for anything you want to comment on on uh, the show this week or in general uh, before we wrap up let's just check in with Tom Merritt Tom what has been going on globally this week in tech hey thanks Nate this week we discussed some research from Carnegie Mellon University that can turn any surface into a touch sensor including Play-Doh. We discussed the Amazon Echo Show, that's the one with the screen, and why people want smart speakers at all. Looked at a robot that can help doctors perform delicate eye surgery. Took a look at all the news out of Microsoft Build, showing that Microsoft wants to expand across every platform. They don't want to just stay inside Windows anymore. And we talked with Patrick Norton about that worldwide ransomware attack and how not to fall victim to things like that if you can. All that and much more at dailytechnewsshow.com. Thank you, Tom. And just one other thing, uh, listeners, I would point out, we're going to be putting something out on our Twitter account uh, a little later this week uh, that you're, you may, if you are a general fan of the show, you might be very interested. It concerns our 100th episode. Uh, all I would say is that if you're not yet following us on at text message pod and are interested in this, uh, in this news that we're, we're going to be able to announce later, uh, now would be a very good time to start following us in order to see that when it happens. Okay, that's enough cryptic conversation from me. Ian, we're done. We are finished, good. aren't we? Excellent. It's a good week. That was that was a deep and meaningful set of 
conversations we had there. It was, and I hope it makes up for the fact that we didn't have an episode last week. Uh, so everyone's got a, a slightly longer show this week. Uh, thanks to everybody supporting us on Patreon. If you aren't and would like to check out just some of the rewards and extra features you get over there, longer episodes and stuff, patreon.com forward slash UK tech. And thank you to everyone who is supporting us. And for those who can't afford uh, to support us financially, as ever, uh, the best way to support us, tell a colleague, tell a friend, tell them how to get into podcasting and maybe leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we appreciate that enormously, uh, more than you can imagine. And I think, unless there's anything else, Ian, we'll see everybody next week. That we will. All right, bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 